Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. I just, I'm going to just open this up with where my heart is at. I have a great burden on my heart for what I'm preaching about this week. I have a great burden on my heart. I have been thinking about this theme. I have been preparing for a number of months just in my mind, and then I felt that there was time for me to speak on this subject. I've spoken on it again, but not in the same way, or spoken on it before, but not in the same way I'm going to do today. So the first thing I want you to do is to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Uh, you will be able to read it off of the screen, this particular text. It's going to be coming up. And I want to give you the context of one of my key verses here. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And this church has been shaken a little bit because um, somebody has brought news to them that they have missed the second coming of Jesus. That somehow or other, they had missed it. Jesus had come and they were left behind. And the Apostle Paul got wind of this, so he penned a letter to explain in a little bit more detail, no, you haven't missed the second coming of Jesus, and here's some reasons why. Well, in these few verses we're going to read, verses 1 through 4, we're going to focus on verse 3, but I wanted to give you the full context of what Paul wrote and why he wrote it. So would you follow along now in your Bible? I'm reading from the New King James. There's some wording that the New King James uses, and that's why I chose it. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind, or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if, if, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called for or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Back to verse 3 now. It'll be highlighted on the screen for you. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There is something that is going to precede Jesus' return to earth, and it is going to be so apparent. And uh, in the New King James, they use the word falling away. The NIV and the New Living use the word rebellion. Let me tell you what this word is in the Greek and how it's going to apply. Falling away is the Greek word apostia. And I, I hopefully got somewhat close to the pronunciation. Apostasia. And we get our English word apostasy from it. It means a defection from truth, a falling away, or to forsake the truth. A defection from the truth, a falling away, or to forsake the truth. This falling away is of those who have heard and responded to the truth in some way. And that's why I've called this short series Divided, 
the rise of the false. Because the reason people have fallen away from the truth is they have embraced something that is false, something that is counterfeit, and they are basing their eternal security on things that are not true. Now, throughout the New Testament, throughout the church age, there has always been false teaching out there. There has always been preaching that has not been preaching the truth. There has been prophesying that has been false uh, about what is necessary to be right with God. And there have always been people who follow uh, this, this falseness. Their lives do not demonstrate a devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. So on one side of this divide, we have the true followers of Jesus. We'll call it the true church those who are holding to the truth as revealed in the scripture and living it out. And over here, we have some that have bought into the false and the counterfeit and are living their life in a way that does not line up to what the truth of the Bible is. And what Paul says is, before Jesus comes, this is going to become rampant. This is going to become rampant across the world that people who had once held firmly to the truth as revealed in the scripture are now believing that eh, maybe that doesn't apply to me or that doesn't apply to now. Entire denominations are doing this. And in the last days, it will be so bad that it will be called the apostasy, the falling away, the rebellion, so that there will be people on both sides of this divide. The Apostle Paul, in uh, writing to the uh, Timothy, who was a young pastor, said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, they will act religious, meaning people who fall into this side of the divide. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. There will be a religious look to the people on this side of the divide, but it won't have the power to save them. And so here's a key thought. There are no cheats today. Hopefully you picked one up. The key thought today is this. And this key thought is what fuels my passion for the subject. The danger of the false and the counterfeit is that individuals who hold to these beliefs don't realize they have believed something false until it is too late. The danger of the false and the counterfeit is that individuals who hold to these beliefs don't realize they believe something false until it is too late. And as the time of Jesus' return draws closer and closer, the counterfeit will become greater, the false will become greater, the divide will become greater. You say, well, what does this look like? Let me give you some examples. There was a, an article that was recently published based on a uh, research project that was done by the Barna Institute. And Barna... Uh, is one who surveys churches and believers to find out where the nation, our nation, is at. And uh, by the way, um, on Facebook, at the close of this service, I've actually put a link, and it will appear on our Facebook feed. At the close of the service, you can read the entire article. I did not go back to the entire research project, but you will have access to the article that I read that I will be quoting from. So uh, a year ago, in January of 2020, the Cultural Research Center surveyed 2,000 adults from four major groups, evangelicals, Pentecostals, Pentecostals and Charismatics, 
mainline Protestants and Catholics. So the four major groups that adhere to the Lord Jesus Christ, that claim Jesus Christ is our way to salvation. So the Evangelicals, Baptist and Wesleyan, and we really fall into the Evangelical and the Pentecostal. Pentecostals and Charismatics, like the Assemblies of God, the Foursquare, the Apostolics. Um, mainline Protestant would be um, uh, your um, Episcopal, Presbyterian, some of those mainline denominations that have been around for a long time, and then Catholics. Quoting now from the article, this is about the evangelicals. Evangelicals have traditionally emphasized the importance of seeing the Bible as the infallible, inerrant word of God. I believe this book. I believe it's infallible. God breathed it. I believe it's inerrant. When he breathed it, he breathed it without error. Even though there were human writers, God miraculously made sure that they captured his word. This book is infallible. It is inerrant. That is what I believe. However, 52% of those people who identified themselves as evangelical do not believe in objective moral truth, which equates to most evangelicals believe that the Bible is either not inerrant or trustworthy in its content. Over half of those who claim to be evangelicals no longer believe that this book is the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. That said, Barna is a radical and critical departure from the traditional teachings and biblical reliance of evangelicals. In addition to their shifting view on absolute truth and the authority of the Bible, evangelical views of God and humanity are also becoming more secular. 75% believe that people are basically good instead of basically sinful as revealed in the Bible. 43% believe Jesus sinned during his time on earth. Now, these are evangelicals. These are people that are in uh, non-denominational or interdenominational or Baptist or Wesleyan or some of our Pentecostal churches. 43% believe Jesus sinned during his time on earth. And 58% believe that the Holy Spirit is merely a symbol rather than a person. A majority of evangelicals do not believe it is important to follow Christian faith exclusively. 62% said that having some faith of any kind was better than having none at all. Dr. George Barna said that the survey reveals the theological demise. Now that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna get a little closer to home. The theological demise of those who are members of Pentecostal and charismatic congregations. 69% do not believe in absolute moral truth. 69% do not believe in absolute moral truth who attend our Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Even a larger percentage of people from this tradition do not believe that human life is sacred and do believe that the Bible is ambiguous regarding abortion. Mainline Protestants, they were the most secular out of the four traditions. Nearly two-thirds, 60% of mainline Protestants, again, going to your Presbyterians, your Episcopals, the mainline denominations that have been around for a while. Two-thirds, 60% of the beliefs of those who attend mainline Protestant congregations directly conflict with biblical teaching. Said Barner, the worldview possessed by most mainline church attendees revolves around three concepts. And they are, number one, individuals determine their own truth and morality. This is, these, are people, these are people who claim that they believe in Jesus. But they determine their own truth and morality. 
There is no objective, transcendent purpose to life. And traditional Christian practices, this is the third one, traditional Christian practices such as confessing sin, praying, and reading the Bible are not important to one's faith. 59% of those who attend mainline Protestant churches don't even claim to be born again. What did 2 Thessalonians say? The Lord's return will happen, but first will be the falling away. When I read things like that, when I watch what is happening, the time of Jesus' return is drawing closer and closer and closer. But that's not my purpose this morning. My purpose is to talk about how the false and the counterfeit has gotten in and what it's potentially doing. So we're going to look at two uh, passages from two different Gospels, Luke chapter 13. So if you have your Bible and would like to look on Luke chapter 13, we're going to start in verse number 22 this morning. And then we're going to go to Matthew. But in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22, I'm going to read through the text. I'm going to comment a little bit. And then I have uh, four points that I'm going to make towards the close of this message. And this is uh, the beginning of a short series of messages. Next week, I'm going to speak a little bit more on this topic, and I may go a third week just depending. Hopefully, we'll get through all the material that I have today. But if not, I'm not going to be too concerned. Listen, Jesus revealed that this was going to happen. Jesus warned that this is going to happen. Jesus gave us parables that this is going to happen. Jesus doesn't want it to happen to us. Because those people that I talked about that have moved over to this side of the divide, very possibly some of them were at one time on this side. Let's see what Jesus had to say. Starting in verse 22, Luke 13. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. So this is at the very latter part of his ministry. This is just before he's going to go to the cross. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Lord, will only a few be saved? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Will only a few be saved? Now, Jesus didn't answer it specifically saying only a few would be saved, but look at how he did answer it. He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door of God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, uh, I don't know you or where you come from. So here are people going to Jesus. The implication is this is at the end of the age when he's returned. It could also be at the end of your own personal life when you go and stand before the Lord. And what he's saying is there are people that don't enter this door, and they're outside, and they're knocking. And he says, I don't know you. And listen to their response. Their, their response is, is key for us to understand that these are not people that are uh, in, a, in a false Eastern religion someplace or people on a, on a desert aisle or a jungle aisle someplace who have never heard. No, what do they say? They say, then you will say, but we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. 
There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least now, or, or some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. In context, he was speaking to a Jewish audience, and these from the north and the south and the east and the west are probably the majority of the Gentiles that are coming. The Gentiles are getting in through this narrow door, and this Jewish audience who won't accept his, as Messiah are being left out. But in context, I believe he's talking about the world as a whole. Back to my key thought again. The danger of the false and the counterfeit is that individuals who hold to these beliefs don't realize they believe something false until it was too late. They didn't know they weren't going to be led in the narrow door. Because when they were locked out, what did they do? They knocked, hey, um, listen, <laughs> we're, we're out here. Open the door. I don't know who you are. Oh, yeah, you do. You taught in our streets. We ate and drank with you. We have some kind of relationship with you. And what does he say? I'm sorry, I don't know you or where you came from. And that door remained locked. They did not know that they had held something that was false or counterfeit. The danger of the false and the counterfeit is that individuals who hold to these beliefs don't realize they believe something false until it is too late. Next passage is Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. This next par parable Jesus taught in his extended teaching regarding the time just before his return and then just after his return. Jesus is explaining the signs which would be seen, but he also talked about how unexpected his return would be for many. And in this parable, he talks about how shocking it will be for those who call themselves Christians and find out they are are not. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven, and this is, he's now speaking of the time just before he returns to earth, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps. Now, culturally, they actually didn't hold a little lamp that had little glass around it and a reservoir. These were actually the torches. You remember the torches that you see in Indiana Jones movies and things like that? You know, the rags that are wrapped around some type of a stick, and that rag is soaked in oil. And it is soaked in oil so that the, the rag absorbs the oil, and then when the torch is lit, it's burning that oil, and the rags serve as a wick. Well, that's what these ten were carrying it says, it will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So let me just identify who some of the characters are in this story. The bridegroom is Jesus. And what he's talking about is the time when he goes away after his resurrection until the time that he returns. So we're talking a vast amount of time here. And what he's describing is these bridesmaids or virgins, some translations say, and this is, this is a very cultural picture, and I don't want to get into all about it, but this is how wedding feasts took place. People waited for the bridegroom to return, and then there was a great celebration. So what Jesus is saying is, when I leave, until I return, there's going to be a period of time, and you need to be ready. And so there were 10 bridesmaids 
who all had torches. And all of their torches were lit. And then it took a long time for the bridegroom to return. This is a parable. But Jesus is talking about the long time since his first coming to his second. And in that long time, the ten all fell asleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with them falling asleep. It was in the middle of the night. Jesus is not making a comment about that. He, the, the whole purpose of this parable is that people would be ready at all times for when he appears. So they all fell asleep. Well, then, a, then an announcement was made. The bridegroom, he's nearby, he's coming. And so they woke up from their sleep and all of them got their torches. Now, what had happened is during their sleep, the oil that the torch had at that point, see, everybody had oil, everybody's torch was lit. They're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and now they're yawning. And they're waiting and they're waiting and now they're nodding off. Well, the torch continues to burn for a period of time and then it goes out. Then the shout, the bridegroom is coming. Now, the five who were ready and made sure they were going to be ready no matter what when Jesus came had extra oil. So immediately, what did they do? They get their torch. They, they uh, might, uh, make sure that the, the wick is in good shape, and they start soaking their torch with this oil, soaking this torch with the oil. And they're getting it to the point that when they light it again, it's going to be light and glowing when the bridegroom returns. Well, the five foolish, the ones who weren't, prepared, they weren't ready, didn't have extra oil. So they go to these others and say, let us have some of yours. And they say, no, there's not going to be enough. You're just going to have to go and find some more oil. And the bridegroom returns, and that's where we pick up the story. Verse 6. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. While they were gone to get ready, because they weren't ready, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. They're ready now. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus makes this statement, so you two must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Jesus is saying, you need to be ready at all times. Always be ready. Always be ready. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit about the five foolish bridesmaids. These are not people in false religions. These are not people who are atheists. These are people who claim to know Jesus, who claim Christianity, but they have ended up believing something false. They have embraced a Christianity that does not lead to eternal life. Pastor Jimmy Evans, some of you are aware of him. He oftentimes preaches at uh, Gateway in, in Dallas. He, had, he used to have a church himself in, um, I believe, it was, was it Austin? Or, but it doesn't really matter, another church in Texas. He wrote a book called The Tipping Point about the end times. Pastor Evans believes this, that when Jesus returns, half of those who claim Christianity 
will not go in. He believes that this bridesmaid parable is far more literal. That of the billions of people on earth and of the billions that claim some level of Christianity, half of them are going to be in the foolish virgins or the foolish bridesmaids in the counterfeit or the false and the other half will go in. And, you know, I don't know if this is to be that literal, but as I was reading those statistics where in the evangelical realm, 52% don't believe the Bible any longer to be the inerrant, inspired word of God in the evangelical world. And amongst Pentecostals, that's over 60%. I'm beginning to wonder, maybe those percentages aren't that far off. Take your notes this morning. At the end, when the Lord returns or when we die, at the end, when the Lord returns or when we die, number one, the false do not know they have embraced counterfeit faith. At the end, when the Lord returns or when we die, the false do not know they have embraced counterfeit faith. Well, they find out very quickly, but up until that point, they don't know they have embraced it. Number two, the false are shocked that they are locked out. They're shocked. In Luke's gospel, in Matthew 28, you can go to um, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about the false teachers. They're shocked that Jesus said, I don't know you. Some of those passages we may be able to look at in the subsequent weeks. But the false are shocked they are locked out. This is the problem with the false. These people believe that they're walking in something that's true. And unless the Holy Spirit reveals to them or unless their hearts are softened, they're not going to realize it and they're going to be shocked that they are locked out. Number three. At this point, the false cannot do anything about their condition. The false cannot do anything about their condition. When Jesus returns or when they die, the false cannot do anything about their condition. And number four, the false are eternally lost. That's why this troubles me. See, Jesus gave these parables and these teachings to warn the church throughout the ages. Now, at the end times, it's going to be worse. But throughout the ages, there have been the counterfeit. There has been the false. The Apostle Paul writes to churches about it. Don't believe this false doctrine. Don't believe that false doctrine. Because he knew the same thing. That if you believe the false, and you don't hold to the truth of what we have been taught as to how we are born again, how we are saved, how our sins are forgiven, what God has to say about how to live a life for him, and we believe something else, there's going to come a time and we may find out that what we thought was going to open the way to heaven was actually false, and the door is locked, and we are left out. And that burdens me. I told you that this whole message series has been burdening me for a long time because there may be people that are watching online today, and they believe something false. And if Jesus returned you'd be locked out. There could be people sitting right here that you've embraced only part of faith or you've created your own version of faith that says, well, yeah, this part of the Bible, I believe, but that part, that was for that culture and this part was for them. And, and really, the moral things and these things, and you've, you've, you've 
put together a hodgepodge. And you may be believing something that is counterfeit or false. And so I'm going to present the truth to you over the next several weeks, and I always attempt to present the truth to you because I don't want you to be like the five foolish bridesmaids who come up and knock on the door and say, Jesus, we knew all about you. I went to First Assembly of God in Columbus, Indiana. I listened to Pastor Rick preach every week. I even sent him notes of encouragement, and I put money in the offering, and I did this, but Jesus, I don't know who you are, and they're going to say, how could you not know who I am? Remember where I sat? I always sat in that section right there. <laughs> Didn't you look down? And Because it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with our relationship with Jesus. Have you received the free gift of salvation and eternal life, and have you walked in that free gift? One of the things we're going to look at is what is the evidence that we are walking in the true? We're going to look at that in a subsequent week because that's what people say. Well, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? But for this week, for this week, I want you to, everyone, including myself, I actually did this exercise as I was working through this. I want you to pray a prayer here in a little bit. And the prayer is basically this, Lord, am I part of the true and the real, or am I part of the false and the counterfeit? See, there are people, I, gee, with my eye, I can't really, oh, there, I can see the clock now. Okay, <laughs> now so I have a watch. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just tell you one story um, from my pastoral ministry, and this is troubling. Many, many years ago, the receptionist at the office picked up a phone call, and it was from uh, a lady whose name I vaguely recognized. And so she put it through, and this individual had heard about a decision that I had made uh, at the church I was pastoring. Had heard about a decision and wanted to let me know that, I can't remember, they either really were glad that I made that decision or they were not happy that I made the decision. And they said, and as a member of this church, I think you ought to know how I feel. And I'm going, a member of the church, I don't know you. And as I, as I spoke to the, um, uh, the, the office manager, the receptionist, I said, this name, it's, it's vaguely familiar. I said, well, they used to attend a long time ago. Maybe since you've been pastoring, they've been here once or twice. Well, here's a person that's still claiming membership here, and I, haven't, I don't know who they are. If they walked in the, the door of, of, of the church at that time, I wouldn't have recognized them who probably also believes, well, you know, back in 1989, I went to the altars and I prayed a prayer and I gave my heart to Jesus and then I went back home and lived for myself. But I went to that altar and that evangelist prayed over me and amazing grace was praying and I cried like a baby. I could feel God all around me, but then they went and lived for themselves. There are a lot of people that are in that camp. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can pray the prayer and live for myself. I can pray the prayer and be half-hearted into this thing. I'm not the one who's going to tell you whether you are or you are not. And in fact, that individual may have truly had a born-again relationship with Jesus, and they may have gone to heaven when they passed away. I don't know. 
evidence would make me question it, so that's why I would preach things like this, but that's between them and Jesus. That's why the question today is, Lord, am I a part of the real or the false? Because people start believing, then they drift away, they have their faith choked out, Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Until the end, if you are willing to truly see your spiritual condition, speaking here, speaking to you at home, until the end, if you're willing to truly see your spiritual condition, you can change. You can move from the false side of the divide to the true side. And that's why Jesus gives us these warnings. That's why I'm preaching this way. That's why I'm warning anybody who can hear me online, uh, on demand, however you're watching this, or here in the building. I am here to let you know that you still have time if it becomes apparent to you that what you believed has not lined out to what the scriptures say or what you believed at one time. If you are willing to truly see your condition and if you find out that your faith is false or you're holding to a false faith, you can change and you can find the truth. You can be saved for the very first time because that's what I was. Just personally, I was in church that held to the name of Jesus Christ, that taught me about Jesus. I knew all the stories about Jesus. I did what the church said. They said if I acted the right way and if I kept to this and if I did these things that the church said I was supposed to do, hopefully God would let me into heaven. I, I believed the false. I was taught the false. I believed the false. I lived the false until I ran into a bunch of true born-again believers. And there was something inside of me that said, what did they have that I don't? And I wanted it. And they explained to me about personal forgiveness of sins, receiving Jesus in my heart. They explained to me about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I went from the false that I thought, and I was resting my life on this teaching that I had had. I was a religious person, like it says in 1 Timothy. I was religious, but I didn't have the power of God in my life. And I moved over to the real. And that can be anyone this morning. As the team makes their way back to the platform, what I'm talking about may apply to no one here or several here. It may apply to individuals that are online, or it may not apply to anyone who is online. And I'm not going to make the judgment. But I will be honest, I've been around enough people who claim Jesus who show no evidence of having saving faith. And I believe some of you have too. This is ultimately between you and God. This is ultimately between them and God. But I will not fail to warn through preaching what Jesus taught. You will not be able to stand at that door and be knocking and say, well, Pastor Rick didn't tell me this. I will warn you. But you will need to seek your own heart. And the Holy Spirit, if you really want to know, if you really want to know, if you really want to know. You know, some people don't really want to know. One time, this is a little bit humorous, but it's not. One time, someone said they were, they were really wanting to give their life to Jesus, they said. They, and uh, 
They said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to do that. And I said, well, well why not? He said, because I know what he's going to ask if I do. He's going to ask me to change this in my life and this in my life and this in my life, and I'm not willing to do that. But I, but I, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I want him to take me to heaven. Ultimately, between you and God. So the question is, how can I know if what I am believing is true or if I am holding to something false? How can I know? For this week, I have a strong conviction that if you really want to know, Jesus will make it clear to you. If you really want to know. And then in the next one or two parts of the series, we're going to look at what Jesus said, how we can evaluate our lives, and even to some extent evaluate the lives of other people who claim to know Jesus, especially those who are closest to us. You know, some of us have loved ones that we just, we just wonder. They've made a profession of faith years ago, but they're not living for it. You know, we need to pray for them as if they believe something false. If they're believing something true, your prayers are not going to be in vain. <laughs> okay, But if they believe something false, hopefully your prayers, your witness, your life will help move them to the point where they can cross over or cross back over into the truth. Now, I will tell you just briefly one of the ways to evaluate. Briefly, Jesus said that we are to love others in the same way that he loved us. His love being poured out to others through you and I is evidence that he is living inside of us and we are his children. That is the first key. If you don't have love for others, if you are not loving the brethren, if you are not loving the world, there's a possibility that you have moved from or are moving in the direction. Because Jesus said, they'll know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. You know what concerns me right now, and this is me editorializing a little bit, okay, is how much infighting there's been in the church over all these political things and over this thing and over those things. No, we're supposed to be known by our love one for another. Not whether we line up as Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever it is. It's love for one another, even those that we disagree with politically, even those that don't hold to uh, what we feel would be the important things. We love one another. That's what Jesus said defines us, will define us, should define us, because he lives within us. And if you need to evaluate with something, Evaluate with that. But for today, we must stop. My point today is that we all must be careful to be ready because we don't know when the Lord will return or call us in death. We don't know when that's going to happen, so we need to be ready. So the question is, are we living as Jesus commanded? Are our lives a reflection of how he said his followers lived? Are you certain today that you have saving faith and have entered through that narrow door? Bow your heads. I want you to repeat out loud. Every person here and online, I think it's very important, very important that you repeat these words out loud also. Would you pray? Lord, am I a part of the real and the true or the false and the counterfeit? 
I want to know. Show me today. In Jesus' name. Now would you repeat these words? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Lord, you have heard our prayer from our lips in response to this which I have preached. Lord, today if there are those that find you prompting them because they are living in that which is false and counterfeit. Father, may they come and cross the line and, and embrace the true. Father, if you've reminded us that we are on the true and on the, 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 the side of, of, of saving faith, may we continue to reach out to this world that you love that we may touch it in powerful ways. Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to open the front in just a couple of minutes for prayer for anyone. But the team is going to lead in a small song. You may want to sing along. You may just want the words to minister to your heart. You may just want to sit there and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to give some direction for prayer. But would you follow the team now with this song? You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.